Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast episode 197. So close. So close. We are making it up that rung, episode rung to level 200. I feel like we're going to turn into like a mega boss when we hit 200. It, it could happen, yes. Um, Shane, yeah. this has been a time of insanity for us. And if people have been listening to the podcast for a while, they know we've gone through a few of these. The last time I think it was this crazy was when you were filming season one of your comedy sketch show, The Dessert. Yes. And right now we are filming a St. Patrick's Day episode special, which is like a spinoff of one of your sketches. Yeah, it's our Wayne's World. <laughs> so this is about a... Uh what essentially is a male Hooters, and I play the lead server, Trent, and it's coming out on St. Patrick's Day. It's called Bulges, this restaurant, It's called by Bulges. The way. It's going to be on Crave, presented by Max Kerman and Bruce McCullough. Of the Arkells and of Kids in the Hall. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's our little plug, but, but that's why we're busy. It has been so much fun. I will say, so I'm having a ball on set because... First of all, I just like working with Shane in general. And then I like working in that capacity because I get to see him doing what he's really good at and then also doing something that I never foresaw him doing when we first got together, and that is acting and performing. So Shane dancing. Yeah, <laughs> so Shane's running around the set in these like little green booty shorts and a crop top and doing a dance in front of all these people and he looks i know it's the character but like when he finishes the dance he just looks he's got to put up his hand and like look around the crowd because he's proud of himself as a character but i couldn't help thinking shane you must have been so proud of yourself like actually when you got to that position knowing that you learned this really hard dance yeah, and, you know, hard is relative to your skill level. So <laughs> Jillian, who choreographed it, would say, oh, it's not that difficult. But to me, it was very impressive that she, how she choreographed it. And it was very difficult for me to learn because I always say I'm impervious to learning. And especially, I have no rhythm or ability to dance. <laughs> I, I, it's hard enough for me to walk. So I was not only proud of myself, I was proud of all these other guys mm -hmm. who, you know, we're not paying what I would consider to be a very good wage. It's, I guess it's within the legal rights of what you can pay out of um, when it's not Actra. Yeah. But still, these guys are getting paid very little, acting their butts off and learning a dance routine. Uh, like, you know, they had the mm -hmm. choice to say no, that they didn't want to be a part of the dance, but everyone agreed to be a part of the dance. And they did it much better than me with way less time to prepare. So yeah, I was not only proud of me in that moment as my character Trent, but I was proud of the guys behind me who did it so well. And one of them, luckily, just by pure happenstance, one of the bulges guys that we hired just to act, took on the role of teacher yeah. too, because he was a, um, a dancer himself and a bit of a choreographer. So he took it upon himself to teach the guys who weren't as strong at, at dancing. That may have it. been one of my favorite moments actually last week on set was seeing in between takes and when guys weren't in a scene themselves and they were off to the side, they were helping each other learn the dance and very seriously going over their steps. And listeners, this is while they are in these tight green booty shorts and crop tops looking hilarious. And they're just so seriously going over these dance steps. It was the cutest thing. Yeah, it was very good. Seen. There was a lot of uh, camaraderie going on. And uh, 
I really enjoyed the fact that you were able to be by my side for the whole thing because, you know, you no one cares more than me and you, I think, on mm-hmm. set. Like a lot of people care, but you know how much I'm like dying for this to work. So you're hustling your butt off and you're helping me. And the only reason you're able to do that is because we have so much help in our external lives with, you know, my mother-in-law, your mother, my stepmom, and just our parents helping out. Like, obviously, that's not to say Mm -hmm. the dads aren't helping because they're helping the moms while they help us, you know? No, absolutely. It's No, it's huge. So Lorna and Roseanne and John was taking Lucy to karate. Thank you guys so much. Like, it's huge. It's amazing. I'm not just saying my my dad. I'm not just saying the actual kid mm -hmm. help. I'm saying when they don't have someone at home, they have to pull up the slacks at at their house or whatever. Big time. So my... my stepmom doesn't drive, so my dad has to yeah. uh, drive her here. So everyone really uh, helped out. No, it's it's so huge. And it helps keep the stability at home for the kids. Because, I mean, last time we had a shoot, it was a month long of insanity. And now, you know, we had last week. And then we have a couple days left where it's going to be nuts. You and I will both be on set all day tomorrow. And having people here... It just, it really helps keep things in line for the kids. They're still going to bed at the same time. They're still doing their sports. They have the same routine. So their lives aren't really disrupted that much. And that's huge, I think, um, to have the ability to do that. But it's still tricky because then as a parent, you're missing, like when we were shooting the first time, we missed the girls, you know, first month of school, pretty much. We'd see them in the mornings. We took Lucy to her first day. But you're missing a lot of those kind of first moments and things like that get tough. So I actually want to ask you, Shane, Mm -hmm. in moments of this where it's total insanity and we have to be a little bit more selfish with our time in order to benefit the family as a whole, do you do anything different or special to kind of show the kids that you love them or you're still there for them, like anything like that to kind of make our moments with them more special? Not really. No, <laughs> I like this. <laughs> Not the answer you wanted, but no, the no. answer I'm giving because really this is such a short blip and there are so many moments in life that are trying on one partner or the, mm-hmm. the rest and would be untenable if it went on for many months. But this is really two weeks of our lives in mm-hmm. this case. The dessert was much more. The dessert was maybe six to 12 weeks of our lives, Yeah, probably closer to 12, but this two-week period, the kids also got to be a part of it. They got to be actresses in it. They were very excited about it, uh, and they did very well. Uh, Lucy a little bit better than Betty. But, <laughs> you know, we still have weekends off. We're, we're with the kids doing things with them on the weekends. I don't know any kid that I know, of my friends or otherwise, who are doing more stuff than our kids. They're in karate, tennis. Swimming. Swimming. At two different places. At, at two different places. Yeah, karate and jujitsu like five nights a week for Lucy just because she loves it. Yeah, so it's like their schedule's jam-packed. Mm-hmm. They, they don't know. They're not affected yeah. by this at all. I played with them all day Saturday. We had like a movie, home movie theater that they set up where they acted in all the movies. <laughs> we did that. Then they went to swimming. Then they went to tennis. I don't feel like our foot's off the gas that much. Mm -hmm. If this gets picked up to series, that would be another conversation because then I'm having my job or social media management and the series on top Mm -hmm. of that. So that will be, we'll probably have to think of something to account for all the missed time. Yeah. Well, I I, honestly, I felt like this weekend we kind of made extra special, I thought. 
I thought Saturday, like we were all over, okay, well, like kids get to kind of dictate what we do and making them feel good about it. And uh, like Shane always takes the kids at 7 a.m. So, you know, I take care of the kids like through the night if there's any wake-ups or whatever and then before 7 and then at 7 a.m. every morning where we don't have to go to work, that's when Shane gets out of bed, takes care of the kids and then I sleep until like 9 or whatever and it's just a nice system. But when I came down on Saturday morning, you guys had like such a setup going. I mean, the kids had all this food. You guys were playing, half playing video games super intently and then doing all this other stuff. Like it looked like you guys had a full party first thing in the morning and it looked just like an extra special fun daddy time. A lot goes on in those two hours from seven to nine. Um, (laughs) I don't think it was extra special. I think it was fun because Betty's finally of the age where she can play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm-hmm. on uh, PlayStation, which is a great game for people th- or for kids three and a half and up because it's just easy enough. You kind of just have to button mash and know how to move mm-hmm. up and down. And Lucy and Betty are playing Ninja Turtles and they're kicking butt. <laughs> and they're also at the age two where, you know, usually you just want to be the girl character. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be April, April. But Betty sees that Donatello has a bow, and that's extremely advantageous. And a she bow li- staff. That's a bow like- staff, yes. And she likes purple. So she's comfortable being the turtle. Lucy wants to be April. And then they can just play in harmony. <laughs> and then they want to watch the Seth Rogen Ninja Turtles movie. Seth Rogen produced a kind of cool animated Ninja Turtles film. Whereas when that was in theaters, they had no interest in it. But the video game yeah. sucked them into that world. And Lucy was laughing her head off. Oh, she was going bonkers. She was loving that movie. Yeah, so it was a uh, great morning. Maybe it seemed extra special just because we have so much going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we we do a lot of stuff all the time. You we know? do do a lot of stuff all the time. And I, and I just want to touch on, it's a really cool phase we're going into right now because the kids are getting old enough that we can start showing them things that aren't just for little kids and like maybe things that are nostalgic for us. So like you playing and then watching the new Ninja Turtles with them on Saturday. And then yesterday I got them into the old version of She-Ra, which I love so much. And they're totally digging it. Like you can get it for free on YouTube. There is a full length movie we haven't hit yet. And they're having so much fun watching all this stuff. Well, that's the only reason you have kids, isn't it? Just to <laughs> relive. relive your childhood, but just totally appreciate it the second time around. Oh, my God. It is so much fun. I love it so much. But Shane, with this, yeah. Yeah. I had a great interview that I did with Lori Sugarman Lee. She just wrote a children's book on how to get kids involved in the process of unpaid labor at home so that it doesn't just fall on typically the mom or the parents in general, and how to get them excited about it. And you have to listen to this interview because I want to implement this in our family, like sit down and come up with like family values. And it's all about, we want to make our home a place that is awesome and that we have pride in and that we all take care of because it's where we come together and we can like be the people we want to be kind of thing. But it's an awesome interview. I hope you guys really glean a lot from this because I definitely did had a blast with it it's a hell of a tease yeah i want i want to listen here we go this is what we're going to it right now what happened to our witty banter i feel like we didn't it's 15 minutes in is there banter done oh i I, think well i I got a big question segment and i got the interview so i thought we'd uh, keep the top short okay fine (laughs) i had some funny stuff to say 
We'll bring it, work it into All the right. uh, questions. I'll but folks, this is my interview with Lori Sugarman Lee on her new children's book, Our Home, The Love, Work, and Heart of Family. Welcome Hi. so much to this Family Tree podcast. I am so excited to have you and congratulations on your book. Thank you so much. Um, can I just say one thing to Shane before we start? Oh, yeah, Shane. Yeah. Hold on. She wants to say something. Hi there. I just want... I just wanted to say, Oski Wee Wee. I went to McMaster. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I wanted to make that connection before we got started. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. Have a good interview. Very nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you, too. That's uh, the best. So uh, you're not from Hamilton. I'm from Kingston. Kingston. Nice. So we're neighbors. Yes. We're neighbors. Yeah. That's yeah, the best. Totally. No, Ontario girl. I love your content so much because... I get such a kick out of like the milk bags and the references <laughs> to like, you know, Ashley McIsaac and all this That's good best. stuff that, you know, really takes me back. I haven't lived in Canada in a while. Yeah. So where um, are you right now? I'm in Chicago. Oh, nice. You enjoying it? Yeah, it's great. I mean, look, the Midwest is really the most Canadian like part of the U.S. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. in so many ways, it feels like home. Um, but definitely the nostalgia for Canada is is hard, is big. Oh, I I hear you. I love it here. I love it here. I I, I could live somewhere else, but not permanently, I think. But I just saw in your stories you're looking at um heading to Europe. Possibly. Possibly. I got and a few things going on in my brain. So I gotta figure out yeah. if we're gonna do a city spot <laughs> in Europe or something tropical, but I know. With kids. I think Scotland, I think Scotland's a great place for kids. Really? Okay. See, this is good. Yeah. I could yeah. take them to see some cows, Loch Ness Monster, castles. All of that. All of that. And then there's there's amazing. I don't even know if we've started yet. I'm just chatting away. No, this, this is fine. <laughs> I like it all. Um, but yeah, that's it's really fantastic. I'm sure you'll get your girls to Paris eventually too. And that is the goal. See, Lucy's been asking since she was like three for some reason. I don't know why. And uh, so she's sold on. I showed her a picture of Versailles and she's like, we're going. But we'll it's see. pretty spectacular. I, yeah. Isn't it? Loads of time for that. I know. I know. That's that's the thing. There's so much time and I'm just so excited about getting to that phase. But it'll come. I'm going to be patient. Um, it'll be good when it happens. But Lori, congrats on the new book. So it Thank is. Thank you. I, don't, I keep just calling it my home or our home in, in my head. But I, I don't want it because it's. Our home. Oh my God. There we go. The love, home. work, and heart of family. And I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And before we get into other things, I want just the concept of home. The concept of home and its importance to you as the author of this book. Well, there's so many pieces to that. I mean, first of all, this fascinating notion, right, that, that each of us living in our families you know, we move through this world as a unit, right? We we rely on each other so much. We're so interconnected and we share this space despite us all having sort of different needs. We're all wired differently. We have different preferences, but we like we live in this little space together and we have all these agreements and um, all these sort of rules or ways of flowing that make it work for us. And each family is so unique in that way. And it's particularly special to me because I have devoted um, 
a good portion of my career to the unpaid work of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it was really understanding and appreciating how deeply valuable that is. But then having the bubble bursting moment of recognizing that society doesn't match that energy. No, no. And realizing that it was up to me to join the people who were trying to do something about it. See, I love this because I had a moment and embarrassingly, I am humiliated to admit that like my mom did so much and she had a job outside of the home. She was so, she was so hardworking. It boggles my mind to think of all the things she did. Like she went to university when my brother and I were like toddlers. Then she went to teacher's college. Then she had this teaching career and she put her whole self into it while taking us to our sports, making us dinner every night, packing our lunches, again, embarrassingly, Mm -hmm. until I was in grade 12. And like just doing everything to keep our home flowing and moving. And I didn't like, you know, I was, thanks mom, whatever, growing up, but I never thought about how much effort and the actual labor that went into it until I became a mom and was like, oh shit, there is so much to do and you don't have a second for yourself. Right. And I think that is a reflection of the fact that so much of this labor of the work of care is invisible Mm -hmm. because so much of it is being done either when young kids are sleeping, when kids are at school or early morning before kids are roused or late at night after they're asleep, right? Especially if you're a mom who's also working outside of the home. Um, But also because so much of the work of care is mental and emotional, right? You are carrying so much. It's like that ticker tape constantly running through your brain of all of these things that you're balancing and juggling as a parent, right? Mm -hmm. Caring for two beautiful young girls. Um, You may be also caring for parents or involved in community and all these commitments that you have, right? That you're constantly thinking about and managing and thinking probably 10 steps ahead on that also is invisible 100%. So how so how could we expect someone else to know? Well and and that's the thing you know I feel like women are starting to talk about this a lot online yes. these days. Yep. And it's so important because like I said like I was an idiot. I was oblivious to it until I was put in the position. And so many people are I feel I, I don't think I'm alone in that. And not alone. Right. And I, I, I don't necessarily think it's something that people think about before they have kids and before they make their couple into a family. And it's something that realistically is a good thing to start talking to your spouse about. Get practice doing just between the two of you before you grow your family. Cause it is huge. And like even me, you're the load is so big and we have a, a really good partnership where it's equitable, yes, not equal. I but see that. Yep. Yeah. But even so, because he's busy right now with his work, he's got a big project. I have the load, the majority of the load at home and with extra stuff. And it gets heavy. You drop things. Like two minutes before this conversation started, Lori, I got a message from my kid's teacher saying, I forgot the trip form and today's the last day. So I got to run that over later. And it's little things. It's things like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting you say um, 
we make these we make these big decisions with our spouse and and that was the position that I was in too so i was working in marketing for 15 mm-hmm. years and i worked for a fabulous company i worked for four seasons hotels and resorts oh, nice and the best part of that job before i had kids became the most complicated part of the job afterwards right it was all the travel and the hours and sort of expectations and um i had to make a decision i wanted to go back to work after that beautiful canadian mat leave that as an american now i really see the value in it's it's not something oh that's God, available yeah. here it is such a gift um but i had to make a decision about return to work and this was a little while ago but at that point for seasons really the culture was not about flexible work mm-hmm. and so it wasn't an option for me and so my husband and i had this conversation we were in a position where we could be a one income family and so the agreement that we made was okay great you do the paid work i'll do the unpaid work as if i had any <laughs> concept of what that was going to entail that made my tummy hurt just thinking about right? that commitment you don't know you just don't know until you're in the thick of it and i think for me that's why and we can talk about all the stages in between but that's why i ended up in a place where i was like okay we have to be a lot louder and a lot more um sort of deliberate about sharing all of these things that are involved in the flow of a family mm-hmm. in the daily life of of caring um and i wanted to start to talk to kids about it because once you're a partner once you're a spouse it's almost too late to start learning that mhm 100% and you know i was thinking about the young girls of today and how we have this opportunity to stop the cycle right this cycle of expectation that the that girls and women will carry an inequitable load of mm-hmm. of unpaid care work 75% of unpaid care globally is carried by women Yes, I was I was looking that up and I don't know if it's still current stat or was from an older study but it it was like 60% of women in North America regardless of income, regardless of education and regardless of their job whatever is still 60% in Canada US. Like it's it's wild and I'm so glad that you brought this up because I wanted to touch on you know how this might impact future generations of boys and therefore yes. men because yeah. this is right. huge like um we were even filming so we're filming a show for Shane right now and we we're on set last week and we had it catered right so like you go you get your plate you go get your food you eat and then you put your plate away in this like bin so that catering can stick to their job and just take the plates away take the food away and the cleanup is on us and i was sitting across from a man i didn't know and he ate and then he left and then i looked at his plate on the table and i looked at him walking away and then i saw him walk by like three other times and i was trying to stare at him and i was trying to like shoot daggers with my eyeballs right right and he didn't so pick it up clear your plate energy yeah, yeah and the caterer came over to to grab the plate and i said no 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 i'm going to sit here for a little bit and i'm going to see if he gets it otherwise i'll do it this isn't your job oh so then yeah. he never did it i yeah. cleaned up his plate and i was like this is unbelievable right but you know what I mean, he's an adult so it is his fault now but he could have been taught those things right 
right. by family members, by whoever raised him. Right. So this is such a big point, right? And you know, you raising two young girls probably see in their generation, right? They're being told they can do and be anything. Mm -hmm. Girls can code. Girls can be prime minister. Girls can fly. Girls can do anything. And of course they can. But what are we telling boys, mm -hmm. right? That allows the girls to have the space they need yes. to succeed in that way. I love that, Lori. And I'm raising two boys. And so- I feel a deep responsibility to raise them to understand this is not women's work. This is the work of a family. And also, these are not chores to be dreaded. These are these are acts of love. These are all the ways that we care for each other, care for our space, protect our investments. It's so funny, you know, when you buy a home, it's like the happiest day of your life, but then the caring for it is just like a bag of rocks that you, you know, that you yes. carry around, right? <laughs> so my responsibility within my family, but also in writing this book for children is that all children grow up seeing the value of this work and feeling connected to it to finally break that cycle of it being passed down primarily to girls, which we still see that it is. Girls do an inequitable amount of work in the home measured as early as age eight. Oh, I believe it. I 100% believe it. I, you know, I, I mean, I look at who's doing work in the home I grew up in. My dad did a lot. My mom did a lot. My brother didn't do so much. Love him to death, but he didn't do so much. And uh, I'm hoping that that changes, obviously, now that he's an adult. I think it has. But it's just, it's subtle sometimes, but it's still there. And Laura, you mentioned... Uh, a bit ago, family flow, that phrase. Yes. And I was hoping you could elaborate on that and what that is. So what I mean by family flow is sort of the daily cadence, right, of your individual unit. Mm -hmm. So it's your schedule, it's your rituals, it's all the special considerations that you put into place depending on people's needs. It's all the negotiations. It's all the obligations. It's how you support each other to get from morning till night. It's when mm -hmm. you meet up. It's when you agree that you're going to eat. And all of these things that you are committed to either together as a unit or working in tandem to thrive as a family. So that's what I mean by family flow. I like that. And how do we get... So like if we're trying to work in tandem, if we're trying to come up with ways that we're going to thrive, right? And I'm sure these conversations are going to look good depending on your kids and their ages and things. But how do I, and I'm asking this from a, a personal perspective too, because we were starting to implement chores and things. I bought a really fancy, I'm going to grab it to show you in a second, but we bought a really fancy um, sand Thing. What, oh, why am I brilliant? And it's oh, pink. Great. It has a heart Ooh. in it. So I flip it and then it'll time how long the kids have to clean up their toys for at the end of the day oh, or okay. whatever. But what's a good step, like a good first step in getting the family to even just get on board with sitting down and discussing this? Because I think like my kids, they can be gung-ho, but their level of understanding is still limited. But if they're older, maybe they're not going to be so gung-ho about it. You know what I mean? Totally. So where I recommend is a good starting point for really for families with kids of all ages is a conversation 
rooted in values. And I think any age of child can understand the question, what feels important to you? And I think that the conversation is really about explaining to your kids, you know what, you guys, we, our family can make our life whatever we want it to be. The four of us get to decide together what's important to us. What anyone else is doing doesn't matter. Anyone else's expectations or judgments don't matter. It's all about us. It's all about what works for us and what's important to us. We get to decide. And so that opens up this opportunity for like imagining and dreaming, like what kind of life you have. Mm -hmm. And I think kids really appreciate the opportunity to contribute to that. And then that flows into a conversation of, huh, okay, so if we want to do that, like, what are we going to have to do to make that happen? What are some of the things that we're going to need to do every morning or every night in order to feel like we're connected to that dream and, and those values? And from that conversation of values, you can begin to create your family standards. So once you know what's really important to you, that becomes your North Star what you then can have is the list of expectations and standards for how you turn that dream into a reality. I love that. And it's approaching it from a very business-like angle. Honestly, like I know in my field and Shane's field, it's like you start with the goal and then you kind of design down that way. That's it. And I like bringing that to family life in a digestible way. And it's also way more positive than me walking through, like I can see the toy room from here. And it's like usually me walking through the toy room being like, if this doesn't get cleaned up, I'm throwing away half this stuff. And then sure. I set the timer. So I like yeah. this way because it it feels more inclusive too. And if you it makes it feel like it's less of um less of a, a punishment. Exactly. And more of more of something that is, you know, this is gonna benefit us all. This is something good that we can do. Exactly. And what you'll find is that the kids will actually begin making the suggestions and setting the standards, right? For what feels good. And then once they're empowered, they have ownership of it, yes. right? And so and so it takes on a different meaning, like when they're being told to do something and they don't understand why mm -hmm. versus when they themselves have come to the understanding of why something's important and they can come back to knowing and understanding that when it's time to do it. And one of the things that I find really important, especially in, um, in talking about the work of the home is for kids to understand why we do things. Mm -hmm. right? I'll give you an example. I have two kind of tween age boys. Okay. It would be one thing if I just said to them, guys, we're we're changing the bed sheets today. Strip your beds, put the sheets in the laundry, like let's go, mm -hmm. right? Instead, I take the time to explain to my 13-year-old boy, hey, listen, it might be helpful for you to understand that actually you'll probably have clearer skin if you sleep on a pillowcase that's clean, right? And so what I would like to do is maybe every Monday – we change your sheets to make sure that you have that clean pillowcase to support the healthiest, cleanest skin we possibly can. Then he's like, uh, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> right? Yeah. So just that background of like, why are these, as we call them, chores? I don't love that word. Mm -hmm. It's such a downer, right? But for the sake of this conversation, why do we 
have these list of things that we have to do daily or weekly or mm-hmm. monthly or seasonally or whatever. Like, why is this important? And loop them into that meaning. Now, hold on. I have a question. What, what if, just because I, I don't know, my kids aren't at this phase yet, but what yes. if you get a kid being like, all right, this is why we're going to clean our sheets. It appeals to their vanity. And they're like, yes, I want to do that. But then how do we respond if they come back and say, well, why don't you just do it? Right. Is there a good so, way to handle that? Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I think this concept of family togetherness, right, and and working as a team, you just said it best, right? We can thrive when we treat our home like an organization. And from the get-go, we establish that our family is a team. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I wrote this book to help kids understand from a young age that that they are connected to and empowered by this work as well. And I think what's really important also from a young age is to express gratitude and appreciation for all of the contributions that are made. I think there's a lot of people that say, um, well, why would I, why would I thank you for emptying the dishwasher? Why would I thank you for, you know, um, putting the, the plates out on the table, setting the table. Well, I get that. I get it. I mean, it's, it's work that we're, that is expected of all of us. And so, you know, thanking for every single thing, but thank yous are free. Look, this is, this is work that is not compensated, Mm -hmm. but gratitude and appreciation is free. And for me and for some people, I know it goes a long way. And so, That really helps with kids as well, right? Mm -hmm. Helping them understand what that contribution of them doing something means to you, right? How it makes your load lighter, how it makes you feel less stressed, how it cleared up your day to do something that you didn't think you had time for and helping them recognize how much value they really are contributing. Yeah. And, you know, I love, you know, this way of thinking and this way of kind of approaching the togetherness and the home. I love the foundations that it sets up in autonomy, self-reliance, responsibility. And I've been in the education world for over 10 years. And that is something that I have seen with teenagers. um, Just a lot of them don't have it. And then it bleeds into other factors. It bleeds into their schoolwork. It bleeds into their ability to set time aside and study because they haven't had practice developing, you know, responsibility over their self and over the things that they're engaging in. That's such a beautiful connection that you just made. And um, of course, this is going to Mm. impact so much, right? And and eventually, it's going to impact their ability to be great partners. Yeah, 100%. And, And also, and also, compassionate leaders, right? When, if they are somebody's boss someday, right? They're going to understand when someone has family obligations, the meaningfulness of that to Mm -hmm. be flexible with that. And again, it comes back to that flexibility that, you know, I wasn't fortunate enough to have um, at that stage in my career. And so seeing the potential for that in the future is um, really, really meaningful for me. Absolutely. Something that you said made me think of something else, which is a an important point too, and I know for you guys too, is that the recognition that even within a family, we are all wired so differently, yeah. right? We have 
different needs, different likes and dislikes. We thrive in different environments. And so when you talk about, you know, how I deal with my son right on these topics, right? So a lot of it for me has been recognizing that he and I maybe have different standards Mm -hmm. of care and he and I maybe thrive in different kinds of environments. So I'll let you know, I'm pretty type A. I like things pretty organized, everything in its place, mostly tucked away out of sight. Mm -hmm. That is not the environment in which he thrives. He's highly nostalgic. He loves his stuff. He loves his photos, his trophies, his little pieces of scrap paper that have important notes on them. He likes to be surrounded by all of his stuff. And so for me, it was this recognition of it's not necessarily about how I want it to be done. It's about recognizing how he needs for it to be done and then setting a standard according to that, that he can really keep to. So he's set up for success in in maintaining it. I love that so much. And you know what? So that reminds me of love languages. And and you know how when it comes to like relationships and love languages, you want to um, speak to somebody and what they respond to. Like if acts of service is their thing, you want to show them that because that's how they're going to feel loved. So this is reminds me of that but just for responsibilities and for, you know, unpaid labor, delegation of tasks and things like that, give them a way to be successful. Because if we just want everybody in our household to be the same way we are, they're going to hate it. They're going to be resentful. They're not going to be successful. And I love that way of looking at it. And again, like when it comes to education, ideally, that's how you set things up as a teacher, right? Because there's so many different ways in which people learn. And I think that's, I think that's so important. And it's something that I swear to God, so many people are going to have to stop. Like parents are going to have to stop and remind themselves before they get upset, before they feel a loss of control, whatever it is. And I do want to say there are more resources than ever for parents who are wanting to understand more about the different brain wirings, right, Mm -hmm. of all of us, right, of our children, of our partners. Uh, And it is super helpful to realize like, you know, this, this person in my family, in my home is behaving in this way because this is what works for them. This is what they, how they express themselves. This Mm -hmm. is what they need in order to feel comfortable. It may not be the same way that I thrive, Mm -hmm. but to understand it, right? And there are so many resources. And if you want to, I can share some good ones with you afterwards that you can post. 100%. Um, Yeah, that are just really um, helping to understand the sort of the mechanics of it, but also helping to be more supportive. I think think it is so good. And Lori, like there is so much value in your book and in what we're talking about. And I honestly, like, it's especially I love that you're writing it too um, from the perspective of a mom with sons because then I think it takes a on a whole other meaning than if it was somebody I don't know maybe like me with daughters just trying to because even if I said this book is for everybody I think there would be an undertone of well still upholding maybe slight traditional roles or something like that but I really love that you're coming at it from that angle and I just, I think it is, I think it is so important. And whether you have girls or boys or whatever, they're tough conversations sometimes to have with your kids in that they might not get excited about it. So I really love that you kind of come up with a framework 
for that. And I think it's so amazing. Yeah, no, this is like genius. What I'm really hopeful about is that um, families will start using, I guess the realization is that we can't only connect and have fun with our kids during leisure time. Mm -hmm. We can connect and have fun with our kids all the time. So even if you have that huge pile of laundry, right? What is the opportunity to bring Lucy into that, Mm -hmm. right? And say, you know what? My first thing I have to do is I have to separate all the things that are white and all the things that are colors. Can you, do you think you could do that? Do you think you could do that with me? Gamify it. Right? And then throw all the laundry like up in the air and let it (laughs) land where it may or whatever, like whatever it takes to get their attention, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and just invite them in to do this like silly thing, which if you were doing it on your own, maybe would seem tedious. But then with her, it's like, I found a pink sock (laughs) Yes, yes, where does that go, right? I mean, listen, sometimes you're exhausted when you're doing laundry. This isn't for every time, right? No, no. But for sometimes, for sometimes. And then before you know it, She's like, gets the sorting, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's on to the next stage. Hey, can you take the, the spray and wash and f- look at all the pieces of clothing and let me know if there's any like food stains or whatever? And then, right, can you spray them? That's the best, yeah. Kids can do that for sure, 100%. right? And if you're, if you're together in the room, it counts as connection. Mm-hmm. It's not only about going to the park or playing a board game, right? All of these moments have the potential for kid empowerment, for a loving connection, for learning, and for feeling a a contribution. Earlier on in the conversation, I was like, getting my kids into chores is tough. And you're like, ooh, I hate that word. Is there a language shift that we should maybe be appropriating before kind of going into these conversations? It's such a good question. And um, I think... The word maybe is what it is, but what I think we can shift is the energy that we give to it. And I think, look, as we talked about before, this work is complicated in that it is a heavy load and it is very often done in addition to our full day of paid work. And so it does feel like hard, but, but at its core, This is the work of love and of gratitude for all that we have Mm -hmm. and all that we are together. And so if we can just remind ourselves to speak of it like that, with that kind of grace, then we're not indoctrinating our kids to also dread it. Yeah. Right? Um, and, And so- the word chore, look, the dictionary definition of the word chore, like, is what it is. I mean, it's it's dreaded, tedious, laborious, repetitive work. Mm-hmm. So I think that's unfortunate. Um, we certainly could start calling these things like, you know, tasks of care or tasks of home or whatever language works for us. But in the case that we don't change the language and we keep using the word chore, at least like let's up the energy that we give to it and also up the sort of feeling of gratitude that we that we surround it with i think it's really um it's really easy to give kids like a list of things that they have 
have to do, mm-hmm. but what's important and why, and they understand the impact and the meaning of these contributions to the greater family good and coming back to that family flow. No, I love it. And I love coming back to the family flow. I love coming back to feelings of gratitude and not just completion. It's like, okay, your chore is done. Now we're complete. And now that's it. It's like, oh, now we get to enjoy, you know, knowing where our toys are, enjoying our house, having more time in our day, whatever it is. I think that like that ethos is so important and can, I think that has so much power to kind of change that dynamic in a family. And listen, feel free also to connect it to rewards, right? Like we were talking, we were talking at the start of our conversation, we were talking about the family meetings, right? And the Mm -hmm. family conversations have a special treat at that meeting, right? Or have like a special blanket that you all sit under together when you're having these conversations, like make it magical, right? So that the kids and ritualize it too, so that the kids know, oh, this, there's something good that comes along with this. And, and similar to, to the task completion, right? Pair that up with something fun, something that delights your kids or something special that you don't do all the time. And most especially, right, what they, what we know they want more than anything is time with you. Mm-hmm. So if they've participated in something that is in some way lighten your load, take some of that time that they've saved for you and, and the fact that they've removed a stressor from you and fill their cup with that. Yeah. I love that so much. Something that my son and I always do is, so my uh, 11-year-old is my laundry partner. And he's become amazing at it. He's really built the muscle. And after we finish the laundry, we watch dog videos together. (laughs) That's the best. Our our ritual. And so he knows that in the contribution that he makes, something for him directly comes from that. It's the time with me and it's the dog videos, which we love. That's no, that's awesome. And I love the correlation of laundry and cute puppies. I think it's perfect. (laughs) So Lori, I I do think that there's so much value in your book. I think that this is unlike anything that I've come across before. And I really do like I'm a fan of all of this, this discussion, the book, changing these conversations. And I truly, truly mean that I really love this. I'm already thinking of like ways that we can do it here and things. I just think it's awesome. But where can people go? If they're like me and want to learn more about this, where can they go to learn more about your methodologies, get your insights? And then where can they get your book? Because we all want to know. We all want to know. Yes. So so I am on Instagram and my Instagram handle is our home, our pride. And what I mean by pride is not a pride in being perfect but a pride in feeling safe and happy in your own space Mm -hmm. that is according to the standards that you have made without fear of judgment or expectations by anyone else. Uh, So our home, our pride is my Instagram handle. And I do post a lot about the way that our family flows and the way that I'm raising my kids to feel connected to this work. 
Um, and so I hope that is helpful to people. And then Our Home, my new book, is available for pre-order now. Um, I think you probably have a lot of listeners in Canada. So uh, that is at Indigo and it's at Amazon.ca and at a lot of independent booksellers as well. And then here in the States, it's available everywhere that books are sold. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, Lori, it was been it was been it has been so nice speaking with you and hearing about this because again, this is I think regardless of how old your kids are, the conversations you could have with your partner and then start integrating your kids into from a very young age. And you're just very nice to talk to. So thanks for being here with me today. Thank you. I've been so looking forward to it. It was great. Oh, same with me. No, this is this is awesome and exceeded expectations. But truly, thank you so much. Everybody go buy the book. It's awesome. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. See ya. All right. I've got my funny hat on and I'm ready to be <laughs> funny because I'm not sure if I brought it for that opening segment. So this is the mailbag segment. Listener questions. Alex answers. I be funny. That could have been funnier. Okay. <laughs> All Warming right. Up. Oh, a lot of laughter going on for the game. not funny. So first question we've got, who was interested in who first and how did you meet? So we've been over how we've met before. I think this is a new listener, uh, but we met years ago on the set of a music video for our friend Sarah Kell's video, Where Are You Going? Lost touch for the most part. We never had touch. No. Even well, on set, there was no touch. There was no, you didn't even know who I was. Well, I was I just was, there. You didn't even look at me. I was listening to you anytime you gave me a direction. If you were like. I never like, gave you a direction. Yeah, you you did. What'd I say? People be like, maybe it was you or Mark. I don't know. Was Mark there? People be like, okay, go. <laughs> but uh, I'd listen to the directions I got, like to turn like this and then keep yeah, running. Yeah, Mark told you that. Well, there I you go. I told him. I direct the director. Because right. it was a co-direction. I was eating pizza chunks. Oh, and... that's the part I remember. And you were making like cheesy jokes, no pun intended. But you were like, oh, I get to do this for work. And you were like being such a goofball. That is what I would yeah. say now too, I think, if I was put in the same position. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yeah, you were being so goofy in, a, in an endearing way. But yeah. yeah, then I guess six months went by. I found your ID on the ground in a bar. Mm -hmm. And so I went on Facebook and I messaged you, hey, I found your ID. And you were so not remembering me from the shoot. You thought I worked at the bar. Yes. So you were like, hey, schlubby nobody. Thanks. <laughs> Just leave it by the barkeep and I'll find it. And I was like, oh, that was lack of niceties were odd there. No familiarity. It's not that you were mean to this unknown person, which was me, who you didn't know. But you didn't have any familiarity. Like, hey, mm -hmm. you know, it's you again. And then I matched with your cousin on Tinder. A, a popular app called Tinder at the time. And I was all gearing up for my date with Jessie. Was my her cousin. name? Is her name. And uh, she canceled the date right before I was. we were supposed to go on it and said, I have someone better for you. Which, <laughs> you know, Tinder is a crapshoot as it is. So I don't know if you're really going to be that open to a blind date set up via Tinder. But she said, no, no, before you cast judgment, mm -hmm. this person knows you already and you know her. I go, who is it? Because in my mind, I'm like, I don't have a crush on anyone that yeah. I know. And then she sent me a photo of you or a reminder of you. She's like, oh, you're director. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, and I was like, you know, making noises <laughs> and uh, that she couldn't hear because it was via phone. And I lived alone so I could be loud, as loud as I want. But I was ma making very excited noises. 
<laughs> told you it was going to be funny. <laughs> really forcing the comedy. And uh, then uh, I said, yeah, hell yes. I said, you said hell yes. I said, hell yes in capital letters. And then she gave me your number and then it was up to me from there. But it was pretty perfect because we had both just gotten out of long-term relationships. I got out of mine and then a week later uh, took off to Mexico for work for a month. And while I was in Mexico, you know, I'm single. I'm thirst trapping it up, I think. A lot of boat picks. Butt picks, yes. Boat, boat butt picks. picks. The well, two Bs. But like I was in a bikini on a boat and making sure oh, I got lots three Bs. of <laughs> bikini boat butt. Yeah. <laughs> making sure I got, you know, the flattering angles, the good sunlight, the yeah. hair whipping around in the wind. So it was perfect because I think those pictures hooked you. And like I'm no, I was already, I was pre hooked and then yeah, and then I was like, actually, I don't want to. I was like, Jesse, don't just set us up. Like, I need to know that she wants to go on a date. <laughs> and she was like, oh, she does. She's interested or very interested. But then when I messaged you, you played it aloof a little bit. Like, you didn't really know. You're like, oh, what, what's going on here? I get like, Look, and then I was like, Jesse, I don't think she's interested. I don't want to go if she's not. <laughs> and she was like, don't worry. She, she is. When Shane messaged me, I was sitting there having like a girl's afternoon. It was the afternoon. I was drinking some wine with some girlfriends. No, this was before this. I'm talking about when I was, we were kind of oh. testing. Then you were playing it like you didn't really like, who is this? Oh, okay, maybe. And you were being weird about it. But th that's when we were trying to figure out the date. And then when I messaged you like, hey, there's no time like the present. Mm -hmm. Like, let's strike while the iron is lukewarm. This is a good line. And then you were with your friends. Um, but Shane, once we got on our date, who do you think was interested in who first? Because I know the second you told me, you texted me at like right before mm -hmm. I was leaving my friends to go meet up with you. Yeah. You were like, look for the guy with the cornrows and eyeliner. Yeah. And, I like, <laughs> and I was like, maybe he like, I don't know you at this point. I only know you from Instagram. Yeah. So I was like, maybe he is wearing cornrows and eyeliner. And I know that's not his typical style. So maybe he's trying to be goofy and I'm into it. And that stupid text where I didn't even know you know me now. So like, wait, I'm, you were into it regardless whether it was a joke or not? Yes, and that's mm -hmm. the thing, because I knew it would be like kind of just some weirder like physical joke if you were wearing eyeliner and stuff. And oh, regardless, you thought it was a joke. You were just wondering how far the joke <laughs> yeah. would go. Oh my goodness. Well, because you know, I'm very gullible, of right? Of course, yes. So you didn't know that at the time, so I didn't know if I was actually going to be, if you were going to be dressed like that. I was like, this is hilarious. This whole thing is hilarious. I'm so excited. And then the second you said that, I was like, this is wacky. This guy's so crazy. <laughs> I, I love him. Like, I'm into this. This is so fun. And then I planned out my whole night the second you texted that. And my plan was to finagle you into coming home with me, Finag which wow. I did. Wow. Bold to admit that on the pod. <laughs> I remember you had a $20 bill in your hand. Because yeah, you was, wanted to show me that you had money. It was my last 20. And that you were going to buy the first drink and only the first drink. <laughs> first drink of many. So I was like, weird move to be dangling a $20 bill in her hand. Like, I understand if you have $20, but keep it in your pocket. Maybe Wh you didn't have any pockets. Women's lib, babe. I wanted to show off my last piece of cash. Well, women's lib ended pretty quick because there's <laughs> no... I don't even think you had enough for the first two drinks. Like, with tip, I think <laughs> no. I owed the guy like 25 cents. But, uh, so... Then from there, we chatted and hit it off. And you were, again, ignoring me. You knew everyone in the bar. 
you talked to everyone. You barely looked at me. Everybody I knew was out that night. It was like a pre-planned thing. You were trying to show me how popular you were. Shit, it was the first. It was like my first night in Hamilton out as a single lady. Okay, so I'm feeling very unpopular. My friends swing by because they know I'm excited <laughs> about the dates. So my friends kind of want to spy on the date. And uh, yeah, I had asked my friend Max Kerman, the lead singer of Arkells, also produced Bulges, always with the plugs. But he <laughs> he said that you were going to be too nice for me. And I was like, I don't know. She's too nice for you. But then I was like, on the date, I'm like, she doesn't seem very nice. She's like <laughs> bubbly, I guess. But she's not that nice. And like you were saying, you were kind of feisty, too, trying to get me home to this after party you were having that there wasn't really an after party there happening. Was, there was nobody except for Shane. No. So I'm like... <laughs> back at this party i'm like she doesn't seem like i'm not, not that she's unkind but she doesn't seem like your typical like church going nice girl that max presented you out to be next thing i know you're throwing on some weird leather jacket and i'm wearing like a fringe jacket and we're dancing in your little jackets and the <laughs> spoon was playing inside out the yeah, song by spoon and we're song. dancing and i'm in your parents beautiful home which they it overlooks the escarpment and i'm like oh my goodness i'm going to uh marry and have children with this rich woman and my whole life is going to be different and then um you know i found out you had no money my parents have money i do not (laughs) you had no money and all this but you know i was still very in love and enamored and then i had lunch the next day with my friend or i guess it was brunch because it was a little bit later in the day and i said i think i think i'm gonna marry her and like have kids and everything and i was talking to mike about the prospect of that and he was very disinterested because i think he was a little hungover and you know i'm the excited one and he's not and i'm like she kissed me like before we left the car and i just had this handful of uh, dill pickle (laughs) chips my breath stank i think it might have even been sour cream and onion and she demanded a kiss at the end and she was like wouldn't stop kissing (laughs) and that's the thing like you never would stop kissing Shane had to have a conversation with me at one point. Like pull away at about some point. my intensity of making out because I could make out with you for hours. Like yeah. still, still I could, Shane. Yeah, it was like as much as I liked you, I'm like, I think she likes me more, which makes me feel good, right? Like I'm not saying I did like you more, but it was that type of feeling. Like maybe she likes me more. And you know, and I, that would get me higher than anything. Well, like, I like oh my goodness. I like the fact that we're both thinking maybe they like me more but that's impossible and going with that Mm -hmm. because i think that's like such an exciting and fun way to go into a relationship when you're feeling liked yeah you know what i mean um but do you think that we both got interested at the same time or do you think one of us was interested first i would think as close to the same time as humanly possible but yeah i don't know i think i was I was fantasizing about us getting married before even the date happened. <laughs> you know, because I, not that I'm some super, you know, empath or whatever, but I just felt like I knew you before I went on the mm. date. And I kind of felt like I get her vibe. Yeah. Like there wasn't a lot to, because I'd already met you in person, I'd already seen the way you interact. And sometimes just knowing whether the person's nice and cordial, mm-hmm. that's like, 80% of a first date, like a person's yeah. going to be rude or something. You don't want that. Not that you weren't mildly rude because you were talking to other people, <laughs> but I'm like, she's probably posturing. I hadn't dated Shane since I was 21. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> no, you were doing weird moves. <laughs> I'd been off the scene for so long. It had been not since I was 21 when I was a kid in, in like university negging date weird stuff. You, you know were what negging I mean? people? 
Well, I think everybody negs people, even Do if they? they don't know it's called negging. I don't neg people. It's like, I think everybody, when they're in their early 20s, plays some kind of game. Oh, I play a game. Yeah, but I think that's all a version of negging. If you're making the other person like feel jealous and stuff like that, intentionally. Not on a first date? You you jump? <laughs> like maybe once you're kind of in the three-month mark. Um, first date jealousy trap? <laughs> well, it worked. Mm. Um, anyway, our next question. How did you choose your kids' names? Real quick, Shane had Lucy in his back pocket that he I always like, liked. I edited a show called Pretty Little Liars, and it starred... Um, Lucy Hale. Lucy Hale. So, I, and I'm like, Lucy, I like that name. Mm-hmm. It feels like a classic and a cute name for a girl and also one that you grow into. And it's not weird for a woman to be named Lucy. Also growing up, I Love Lucy was a popular show that not, it wasn't actually popular. It was popular within my household. My <laughs> How mom, old are you? <laughs> my mom would watch it frequently. My sister loved that show. When we went to my grandparents' house, we would watch it. So I was fond through nostalgic reasons and recent reasons for the name Lucy. Yeah, and then Shane suggested it, and I was like, okay, great, love that name. We didn't have any more conversations, and that was in, like, our first two weeks of getting pregnant. Then with Betty uh, hanging out in Vegas, the old Vegas vibes were getting to me, and I was like, Shane, if we weren't pregnant at this time, and I said, if we get pregnant with another girl, are you down with Betty? And he said yes. And then when we got pregnant with another girl, we're like, it's Betty. And just never discussed girl names again. And also in Vegas, we decided on the name Ace because we're in Vegas. For a boy. For a a boy. But we wanted it to be Jersey originally, but there turned out to be a conflict of interest there that we couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But I really like the name Jersey. Very, very cool. I'm glad we didn't have to deal with any controversy. And I do want to say it's not Jersey like a sports jersey. It's Jersey, the Polish name, which is J-E-R-Z-Y. And it's a very cool name. Grandfather's name. Uh, next question. What do you date nights look for you with two small children? I would Wait, love ideas. Can we re-ask that? What do date nights look for you? Look like for you. Oh, what do okay. date nights look like for you with two small children? I got children? scared there for a second. <laughs> date nights looking for you. Would love ideas. Honestly, it's, you know, ideal you get a babysitter or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle or somebody to come over and maybe you can get out. Shane and I for a little bit there after the COVID restrictions first loosened, Nona was sleeping over every Wednesday night. I forget what the impetus for that was, but I think it worked out with your dad's work schedule. So you and I were going out and having a blast, an absolute blast every Wednesday. We'd go for dinner, which consisted of probably our favorite meal in Hamilton, which is a $7 sandwich from this Portuguese spot. Oh, it's the best. What's that, what's that place called again? I always forget. Scrapyard or Academica. Academica. Best sandwich in Canada. Ever. The Bafana. So cheap. You have to pay cash, but it has an ATM there. It's phenomenal. It's just everything about Amazing it food. is phenomenal. So we'd go there for a $7 Bafana. And then we'd just hit up different spots on James Street yeah, North and like Hamilton. Yeah, we a mini bar crawl. And there was the this brain. one, yes, and there was this one spot that was open at that time. It's closed now. Uh, it was called Shaolin, and we would go dancing there. Yeah, I wish, th- I feel like there's no more da- places to dance. Not like that. Not like a chilled out, fun vibe any, like that. Any place to dance. Where would you go? Like even for an unchilled vibe? I have no idea. See? You know, we, you got to find out from the university kids, because that's the thing. The university kids kept that place booming on like a Wednesday night. Yeah. But Shane and I, they would never get going until Shane and I hit the dance floor first. And then we'd like open the floodgates, like these two old people on the dance floor. And then all yes. these like 20 year old university kids would come on and then they'd start dancing. Well, it was also 8 p.m. when 
somewhere else we're starting. <laughs> Maybe that's why. We, but it was great because they, yeah. they had a DJ there and he'd play whatever we wanted. Yeah, the guy's like 70. He yes. plays music. He DJs like hip songs, top 40 or whatever. Things that he thinks are hip. And he's also drumming along. Yes. He's got a, a drum and he's doing it with one hand. And then he's shouting out like insults and stuff <laughs> at people. And he'd play the music video at the same time. Yes. And so much stuff was going on. It was It was the coolest thing. I wish... It I was, want to know where that man is right now. It was a cool thing. Alive. Hamilton's best dance bars, they come, they are amazing, amazing, amazing. Then they go like first absinthe. Baltimore House was one of yeah. them. And then Shaolin. That's where we had our second date, Baltimore House. Yeah. And we um, ended up meeting another couple on our second date, uh, a lawyer. And mm-hmm. he took us to his law firm. We started drinking on his roof. He had a date with him. He wasn't just third wheel. <laughs> but that was very interesting. I wonder if they're still together now. Oh, but okay. Yeah, but uh, I was just going to say, but that's, you know, ideal date night. However, most date nights, which I think are just as fun, just as intimate, anything, you're at home, right? So date nights look like putting the kids to bed early. They look like, I don't know, usually we'll get some kind of takeout, whether it's maybe from our favorite Italian place or whether it's from Taco Bell. Sometimes we want Taco Bell on a date night. Yeah, that's perfect date night food. And maybe a bottle of wine or half of a weed drink Mm -hmm. that's really that was fun for us like we laughed so hard on that you know and if you're not into substances or whatever you don't have to do that you can throw on blind date or no not blind date i do love blind date from the 90s but uh married show the newlywed game it's so fun to play along with the newlywed game and you'll have a blast i guess if you're just putting it on youtube watching it and playing along with the other contestants it's just a fun activity to do. Um, we the, played, the old yeah. episodes specifically yeah, are super ones. fun too. So like we'd each get a pad of paper and then I'd answer with the wives, Shane with the husbands. And it's just, it's so fun to go through and be like, what, you thought this of me and have these. And then you you learn weird things about each other that you maybe would not have had you not put yourselves in the position of playing this game. But we've had date nights where we just sit there and have martini or have a bottle of wine and just talk or listen to music, mm. put on a record. Yeah, if you set the vibe, the vi- the lighting's important, the music's important. And another good idea I find is getting, buy the original Nintendo. I don't, if you're of a certain age or maybe a Super Nintendo or like an old school Sega Genesis mm-hmm. and play like a fun, stupid video game together. We really got into Zelda. Oh, so And fun. our date nights with the original Zelda, Legend of Zelda on Nintendo, it was it was so fun and we played it for nights and nights and nights and that that one game lasted us oh, it was months. So fun. It was so fun. It was like every night became a date night. Yeah. No, there's there's so much you can do and I think a part of the date nights that really made them special for us especially during covid I think we got into this habit was just you know maybe putting on like taking off your work clothes or your sweatpants and putting on something nice as if you were going out and just looking nice for each other if you're gonna have like a dinner and a wine type of date night and it's a part of the vibe yeah, like even it, if you're not even, yeah. yeah but it, it does so add to the vibe um and i just yeah i think they're super special and i think they can be just as special within your own home as if you go and do something outside of it i don't think you need to spend a lot of money number one or go and do something big to have a successful date night do you know what else is kind of a sneaky fun date night what planning a date night on the date <laughs> yeah. night. So Alex and I one night, we kind of, I think, opened a bottle of wine. And we just planned our trip to Detroit. 
Yeah, we're doing a three-nighter in Detroit. But we spend like four and a half, five hours just planning every second of our trip. And that in itself was so fun and exciting to plan something coming up mm-hmm. in the future. And that trip that we ended up planning ended up being one of our favorite vacations. And it was only Detroit we went to. It was amazing. So you can really make something innocuous awesome by just putting a lot of planning into it. And the planning itself can be an event itself. And if you're sitting there being like, ooh, I can never get my husband into like planning something like that. Neither of us are planners. Shane and I are not like that typically. But we had we had the music going. We had jazz playing. Oh, we had a bottle of wine we're going. We're feeling good. Anything's possible. We're like, we're going to go to this jazz club. Then we're going to go see a Raptors game. Detroit's playing the Raptors. And then we're- Cigar bar. Then, then we go to a cigar bar. And then we hit up this spot. And you know, even if you don't do anything, you have your whole weekend planned. It's all fun stuff. And the planning of, of it, like I said, is so fun. Mm-hmm. So no, that's I, a good date night. Yeah. 100%. And now yeah. we're going we're gonna to pivot a little bit for the next question. Mm-hmm. You ready for this one? Mm-hmm. What do you do when marriage therapy isn't working? Dump him. And love is fading fast, Joking. but you have kids. Yeah, I don't. I think if it's not if it's not working, maybe try changing therapists. A lot of people have this idea that their therapist, because it's a therapist, it's like doctors. It's like it's a doctor; they're the best. Mm-hmm. Get a second opinion. Try another therapist. Every therapist is not created equal, and I have a theory that more therapists are bad than good. I had an experience recently with a psychologist. Mm -hmm. The psychologist tried telling me that I'm an extrovert. Do you know how insane that is? (laughs) That a psychologist would tell me that I'm an extrovert? I know I'm an introvert. We're not even debating that. But this psychologist, because I was talking so open and free, Mm -hmm. he thought that meant I must be extroverted because I'm able to verbally communicate how I'm feeling. That ain't it. I can easily verbally communicate how I'm feeling if I'm given that permission. My hard thing is small talk. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to approach anyone. I want to be in my shell. Talking to people exerts energy instead of gives me energy. The psychologist literally didn't know the definition of introvert. I had to explain it to him. Anyway, that's all to say we think all these experts are going to be the, the best in their field or everyone is going to be good. And if it's not working with them, then it won't work with anyone else. I would give it another try. Get a second opinion. Yeah. People know this when they're dealing with like you know physical health professionals but i feel like with mental health professionals that's not taken into account a lot also if your therapist is your personal therapist and then you're expanding your personal therapist into your couples therapist i would not do that because that person has an allegiance to whomever they they had their individual therapy with and there's going to be a bias there even if yeah. that therapist is trying not to have a bias and let's keep in mind this is a financial incentivized Mm -hmm. thing so they don't want to lose you they're often going to side with you which is going to create a contentious atmosphere for the other party who's not being sided with so and if if you've already done that i would say why not try trial separation we have this huge thing where we think okay trial separation that means we're probably going to get separated but it doesn't have to mean that 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 might be the shock you need to truly realize what's important to you. And if that trial separation happens and your world is rocked and you realize how much you value the other person, how momentous your life would be changed without them and how you can't live without them, that might be what you need. And also, being separated, yeah, it's not ideal, 
but maybe it's more ideal than being together and being unhappy because I do think being happy is very important, not only for you, but for your children. And people say, oh, we're going to stay together for the kids. Why stay together for the kids if all the kids are witnessing is this relationship that's not working out? If it's not aggressive in the household, it's passive aggressive, which in some ways is almost worse and just creates an unsettling vibe for the children. And I'm talking from experience. My parents separated, divorced. It was so much better when they got out of the house because it was all the arguments and everything. That was scary times for me as a young child and for my sister too. And I feel like my sister was older than me. So I feel like she still has a PTSD from those Mm -hmm. interactions. I was just young enough to come out not unscathed, but where I wasn't so Mm shell-shocked for the rest of my life. And look at them. They both came out of that and found people that they're so well-suited for. A hundred percent. Yes. And sometimes too, it's, it's not a failure. It's just, you're not compatible. Maybe at one point you were, but instead of growing together, you grew apart and now you, you just, nothing's going to make it work between you and that person. So I don't think separating is the worst thing in the world. And I don't think divorcing is the worst thing in the world, as long as you have respect for the other person and you can agree on, like sometimes people get into who's right and who's wrong. Just agree on the fact that you're hurting each other's feelings and that you don't work together and stop trying to play the who's right, who's wrong game. No, I think that's so obviously well said, Shane. And I looked up a few reasons online why therapy might not work for some people. And this was put out by a therapist. uh, And they said individual issues might be hindering you from actually being able to like get better as a couple. So it's like, if you're going to couples therapy, maybe... You should go to individual therapy as well to work through whatever it is that you're trying to bring into your marriage positively. Another thing, you might be slacking. Sure, you might be putting in the one hour a week or whatever it is to couples therapy, but are you actually practicing wholeheartedly what you're learning in therapy or are you just kind of going through the motions? Because I think for a lot of people, they're like, well, I'm going to therapy and I'm making I statements instead of you statements and nothing's working, but it's like, are you actually open to what the other person is saying? Or do you still have a mindset of resentment? And then lastly, you might have unrealistic expectations of how quickly things are going to get better and of how much work you have to put in, how difficult it might be. And then it was funny because I saw an article, you know how those things on Facebook pop up? Like I get a lot of historical ones because I always click them because I like history. So it's like there was a village in Romania in, I don't know, like the 1300s. In any time a couple wanted to separate, they would take the couple and put them into a one-room shack with one bed, one chair, one plate, one spoon, everything, and not let them leave for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then it was like in 300 years, there was only one divorce because it was the couple. It was essentially like a boot camp for learning how to work together again or something like that. And I was thinking, now, would that just cause more people to divorce? Or would that have the same effect, do you think? Try it. I was actually going to suggest one spoon. Just use <laughs> one spoon, one plate. That could be it. That's good advice. I thought it was very funny. Um, but moving on to our next question. How can you avoid resentment while also speaking up about fair division of uh, mental and care work? So I think this is huge. And I think that our interview with Lori Sugarman Lee, if you somehow went to this portion of the podcast and missed that, go listen to that because that's 
everything we talked about. And it's kind of putting these things in emotion even before you bring in kids into the picture. You know, what can you and your spouse do? Like you buy this home, you're so excited to move into his home or rent this home. And it's like your safe place, the place where you can be yourself and feel good. But then you both want to take care of it. Everybody should want to take care of it. So I think a lot of it has to do with maybe take her advice. What are the pillars that you kind of want to build your home foundation on? And then what can everybody do to work towards that to make sure that it stays a safe, happy, nice place to be? And I I think that's one good take. But what do you think, Shane? Sorry, what's the question again? Avoiding resentment while also, so it's like, while telling your partner maybe they're not doing their fair share of the labor in the house. Word sorry, word it again, like in a way that I can under, I, I can't understand what the question is. Don't read it. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm looking it at me. it. Okay, so how can one partner who's doing the majority of the work around the house and to do with the kids, how can they tell their partner that they need more help without their partner feeling resentful or without them getting more resentful? I think one, don't approach it when you're angry huge coming to it when you're not angry uh and making it kind of fun and show them why it's going to make the house better and just come up with a plan don't even approach it like you i'm doing 80 percent of the work you're only doing 20 percent, or you're doing less than that just say hey i'm thinking of a plan Mm -hmm. for every saturday we do this come up with an actionable plan or suggest that you come up with an actionable plan together and then don't act like the plan came about because you're angry about the in in a inequitability of it yeah right no i think that's really good next question do you two work out and where are your kids obviously. when you do <laughs> and where are your kids when you do it's tricky obviously as a parent to find time to work out find finding energy to work out is a whole other thing but we are both home two days in the week uh and then we are both out of the home working three days a week so when we're home it's often easier to find time during the day when they're at school. And I, I personally love working out during the day. So that's always easier for me. But for me, other than that, like Shane and I do Pilates together every night after the kids go to bed. So regardless. Not every night, but when we can. Most nights. Yeah. Um, but we, we did it at like 930 at night the one time. So we're making time. We're only doing 20 minutes. So we're keeping the bar at a manageable level. Beginner's class. Mm-hmm. Um, And then if I have energy, if Shane has energy, then, you know, once the kids are in bed, we'll hop on the Peloton. I'm not about to wake up at 5 a.m. to do that stuff. So, I mean, I hate working out at night, but I'd rather do it then than first thing in the morning. Yeah, I play basketball. I like Pilates. I have weights around the house. I try to put them on the weight rack when I can, but right now I'm looking at a weight. So sometimes I leave them on the ground, which I shouldn't do. And Alex stubs her toe. But yeah, I lift weights. I do push-ups anytime I think to do it. I, I like to drop and give myself 25 push-ups. And then that adds up in the day. If you do that every hour, you know, you can easily do 300 push-ups in a day if you're just thinking of it. And the results are surprising just from that little amount. I try to get a walk-in at lunchtime as well if I can't when I'm working outside of the house. Um, if I can get out or even walk inside the building that I work in. And I can get often a 60-minute walk at a great pace. And that alone helps so much. Walking is huge if you can do it. I started in the summertime, I started doing 40,000 steps a day, which sounds ludicrous. 
but I walk back from when I get dropped off at the bus stop, I walk home. It not only saves me an Uber fare, it gives me like 8,000 extra steps. Mm -hmm. At work, instead of doing phone calls at my desk, I'll do have an hour-long Zoom meeting while I'm walking. Mm -hmm. And it's just so helpful for me. Oh, it's awesome multitasking. Yeah. Uh, kind of on the same topic, but next question. Has your body composition changed since you started doing keto and are you going to continue into the month? Uh, I think I have to continue for at least two or three more weeks just while we're doing the shoot, maybe just another week. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, my body composition has changed, I guess, like I'm leaner. You're, we're, you're doing a lot though too. Like it's not just keto, but it's keto and then more intentionality when it comes to working out. And I I never eat healthily either. Yeah. And, and I don't even know if keto is healthily. I think that could be bad for your heart in the long term. But I've, I've never been stuck to any for, sort of food routine. Usually I try to work out my way out of mm -hmm. bad, my bad eating habits. So like this has been the longest I've gone without eating traditional pizza or fast yeah. food. Yeah, no, it's it so my is. My body's like reacting, to say the least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I've noticed. I do notice more energy uh, throughout the day. Like I would often get a three p.m. Like I feel like I get hit by a bus and my eyes just start closing, and maybe I'll get tired to a degree. But that is one huge change that I feel. I don't know if you get that. Yeah, my energy levels are all over the place. Some sometimes in the morning they're a lot higher. Mm -hmm. Then I might get a little drought. I might keto flu is a thing. <laughs> yeah. And I like there was a period for the first month where we did keto perfectly. And then I feel like when we shot, I was doing it less perfectly, mm -hmm. maybe doing like a version of what would be called dirty keto and not monitoring it as closely. And then I feel like when I came back from the shoot, I got keto flu again. So it's it is hard like energy levels I find on this. You really got to monitor it carefully if you're going to do keto. It's less protein than you think. Just yeah. fair warning. Some people think it's a high protein diet. It's not. And it pays to do it right. Like it pays to, you know, get an app. We have a free app that we're using and keeping track of our macros and everything like to make sure our fat content is high enough and to make sure our calories are high enough and everything like that. It Without that, it crumbles. Like I thought I was going to go off keto last week and somebody asked the question how the transition back to a normal diet was. I ate a bowl of noodles at lunch because it was ordered for me. I didn't think twice about it. We we're working. So I just quickly ate it. And then I stopped and I was like, oh crap, that wasn't keto. But you know what? That's fine. Cause I was going to go off keto this week anyway. So whatever. And then five hours after I ate that bowl of noodles, I got so sick and was so sick for the next 48 hours. Tummy troubles guys. Yeah. You were. Imodium um, saved me. Can we say that you shit your pants or do you not want that out there? Well, we don't have to get in detail, but it... Alex shit her pants. Not really, only... Oh, then why'd you tell me well, that? Well, I did, but it's not... <laughs> I'm going to exaggerate That makes bad. it... No, that makes it seem like it was like this big thing. It was like I was trying to wait for a bathroom and like the tiniest little bit got out. The tiniest little bit. Yeah. It was awful, shit. guys. It was awful. I was so sick and in pain and everything. So I went back on keto because I was like, I'm not ready to deal with all this. So I'm back on keto now. I'm going to stay with it stay with it mm -hmm. until Shane is done with it. Um, and then we are going to, I'm going to look up, watch videos, read up on how to integrate carbs again in a way that's not going to destroy our intestines. So I'm excited for that. 
But Shane, I say we cut it here. Okay. For a question segment. We've got tons. We had this was our probably our biggest um the most questions we've gotten into a question segment in ages. I've got enough to fill up. Was I funny, as I said? No, you look funny. I'm just joking. I don't want to hurt your feelings. What is that? <laughs> I was trying Jesus. to make a funny joke. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, You're the comedian in the family, Shane. I'm not. But compared to you, I'm Jim Carrey circa 1996. All right. Well, I hope everyone's chuckling to themselves at Alex's little... Uh, You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, anyway... If you can, rate the podcast. Do people rate podcasts anymore? Because I was getting a little in my head like, geez, we're not getting any ratings. But I checked out other people's podcasts. No one's rating them anymore. Outside of the pandemic, people have just forgotten to do it. I'm not complaining, but if you can, I'd appreciate it. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree podcast, podcast, episode 197.